0: Hello and welcome back to the Hero Show. My name is Richard Matthews and I have Pierre Alexander on the line. Pierre, are you there? Hi. Good morning, Richard. Awesome. Glad to have you here. I know we were talking before we got started. You're calling in from Portugal?
1: Yes, I am. Exactly. Just to Lisbon. I've been going on and off and, and living in the area for, for a couple of years now. Really enjoying the cool Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm on the coast of Florida.
0: We've been we've been my son and I have been trying to learn to windsurf. So, coasting, being in warm areas during
1: the winter is my favorite. (laughs) Yeah, very clearly, that's where when you have the best conditions.
0: Yep, exactly. So, before we get too far into this, I'm going to go through your bio, and we'll just and then we'll dive into your story. So, first up, Pierre has over eight years of experience in transaction services and mergers and acquisitions three of which have been entirely dedicated to the world of SaaS, which is software as a service. And as a PWC alumni, he worked on over 30 transactions in France and Australia. He's a spreadsheet diehard, and his Eloquence channel, where he sells some of his Excel templates, reached the number one most visited channel on the platform, and his models are used by thousands of financial professionals. Pierre also regularly writes technical financial articles and is published on websites like TopTel, TechCrunch, and micro Acquire. So Pierre, with that introduction, sounds like you've got quite a, a storied history. Why don't you tell us what it is that you're known for, right? What are your, what's
1: your business like, who do you serve, and what do you do for them? Yeah, that's uh, clear. And thanks for the intro, very good intros. So basically, I've been dedicating, as you said, to, uh, to helping SaaS founders for the past three years with my business a partner, Ikeel, where we're really trying to help them grow efficient digital marketing, which is more well, of my business partner, you know, call strength. And through efficient management, financial management, fundraising, and selling. So that we do m and and all of that. Like the main thing I've been knowing for and, and the main reason why my clients come to, uh, to me are generally for my Excel skills and my capacity to understand their business very quickly. That's the main feedback that I've, I've got received receive for, for the past three years is, well, I was generally impressed by how quickly you manage to understand the key areas of my business, the KPIs, and the main value drivers. And so if you put that together with Excel and modeling skills, then I managed to take ideas and turn them into financial models to help drive decisions, which is the main main reason why people try to work with me. Yeah, interesting. So for someone who is uneducated in the
0: financial modeling yes. space All right one of the companies we run is a large e-commerce company we do a couple million dollars a year in sales how would financial modeling in excel actually help us make
1: decisions yeah so generally excel AI, and modeling helps you in two different ways either you're using it to look at the past and in your historical performance and through that it's going to help you understand where are your margin. Where do you drive your revenue? So, so it's kind of a bridge for from all the analytical tools that you, you can have that already tells you where your revenue comes from from a geographical perspective. Maybe you know you can have where a breakdown of your revenue based on the type of customer. And so, if you use that raw data and you put it in an Excel sheet and you do the the correct modeling to look at the data in a in a meaningful way to really try to understand specific trends and specific, uh, specific insights, then that will tell you who your main customers are, where you're generating the most money, and who you should basically target, which also allows you to understand better how you spend your money in marketing, because I guess you, you, you mainly drive traffic for either SEO or, or targeted marketing. If you understand that you understand the metrics that comes with it, which, which means how much it costs you to, to, to get a customer and how much that customer is going to generate in terms of revenue and what conversion rate is going to be from, from your traffic. If you can understand that, then you will become immediately better you know, at investing your money in the features to drive more revenue. And the second thing is, in terms of modeling, is how do you model your forecast? your projections right and so that helps you make sure that you understand your your own businesses and, and just to be clear the forecast and yeah. you're very unlikely to reach your forecast everyone who does a business plan who does pro- projections, except if you're really big companies and you have like a big visibility on how much money you're going to make and all your clients are, if you're more a startup or younger companies, you're never going to hit your numbers. You're going to be below, you're going to be below, but you're never going to hit your exact number. But why it's important is the way you model is your current understanding of your business. You know that the input you on are true. They're going to translate into this exact output, right? So, so for to, to take the e-commerce, for instance, you need to make sure that you understand how you generate traffic. You need to understand how your people convert. And once you get older, you need to understand how you manage your inventory. Whether you do dropshipping or, or not. You need to understand basically all your value chain, all your different costs associated with each of your sales. And once you do that, then you, you won't be caught off guard if your is actual number of your input changes so you're already able to understand and anticipate what the outputs are going to be based on those.
0: So it teaches you the relationships between the inputs and the outputs. So you could see things, like see problems before they happen, or you can, you can sort of have, you know
1: which knobs to turn to, to change the outputs. Exactly. And the, the best business case on that, or apply case, is around your cash management. If you take the time to properly model how your cash evolves based on your revenue and your cost, then depending on how much revenue you're, you're going to generate, you're going to be able to forecast more precisely how much cash you're going to have in your bank account.
0: Yeah, that's really fascinating and sounds like it's uh, it could be really powerful. And I was like, just one of the things I was thinking about, it'd be really useful to know of all of our products that we have, which ones are the 80 term in terms of like revenue drivers. And then if we could I would imagine if you could know what those products are, we could take the rest of them off and just focus
1: on the ones that are driving the most revenue. Exactly. And that's part of the financial analysis. That's also something that I do on a regular basis when I do financial due diligence. So, for context, the financial due diligence is a very thorough financial analysis of the historical financial statement of a company in the context of a deal when a buyer wants to buy out a company is they basically hire people like us to go there and, and do a full report on the financial stability and on financial performance of the company and so when we do that as part of this analysis you know to, to to come back to what you were saying an important one is how do people allocate costs because generally you have certain fixed costs or even semi variable costs. You know, think about your admin or even your digital marketing. And those costs, mm-hmm. you can allocate them in different ways throughout your product. You could decide, like, thank your marketing costs. You know, you could have a very simple approach and say, look, my marketing costs, I'm just going to divide them by the number of items I sold. But you could have another approach. You could, look, no, now my marketing costs, I'm going to divide them based on the margin of each of my individual products or you can divide them based on the revenue for each product. You, know? you have different keys of allocation that we are going to show you a different profitability by products. So as a first step, understanding how you allocate those costs to your product to calculate your margin and making sure it really makes sense is one of the key to, to make better decisions, to focus on the products that are actually the most profitable ones. Makes sense. I'm ready to hire you,
0: but we have to go through the rest of your story a little bit. But it sounds like kind of stuff that would be really valuable for for the right types of companies. So what I want to talk about, though, is how you got into this business. Right. We talk on this show about your origin story. Right. Every good comic book hero has an origin story. It's a thing that made you into the hero you are today. And we want to hear that story. Were you bit, you know, were you bit by a radioactive spider that made you want to get into uh, financial modeling? Or were you, um, did you start in a job and eventually move to becoming an entrepreneur in this space? Basically, where did you come from?
1: Yeah, so, so born and raised in France, in, in case of some of you didn't pick it up from the accent. And honestly, from a yep. fairly young age, I would say like 13 to 14, I wanted to become a, train, a finance trader. But the reason why I wanted to become a trader because of the picture I had in my head of how you would be doing trade. At that stage, in my head, I thought that you would be analyzing the geopolitical situation of the world, like making sure that you have all the data that you track of the news, and, and being able you know, to be smarter than anyone. When you see that a conflict arise in Venezuela, for instance, being able to say, oh, look, the oil price is going to increase. What items are using oil? Oh, make may pen. Pen are using oil because, because, you know, the ink is basically made of oil. So the, uh, the price of pen is going to go up. Oh, let's buy, let's buy the shares of the of pen company. You know, those type of things. And I was kind of fascinating about that capacity to analyze, find information, analyzing and link it to, to the potential, potential outcome. However, when I grew up and I made it to business school, I quickly understood that tra- trading now nowadays was totally different. It's more a bunch of very smart mathematical genius, you know, creating algorithms. So I kind of looked at different ways to explore, you know, those analytical things. And so I started my starting my career in private equity, which I really loved. Small cap private equity, doing investment in generalist companies. And one thing leading to another, I had mentors that there who who advised me to go to PWSC to really train myself and train myself in analytical skills. So that's how I ended up in a deals environment. After working for five years there, you know, I decided that it was time for for me to become more independent because during my time there, I also tried to start a company on the side related to hypnosis, you know, like it's a whole, whole different story. Didn't work out, but I still had that entrepreneurial spirit within me. So... I did to basically start as an independent contractor, working fully remotely. Timing was right. When I started there, I got got contacted by Akil, who had just started Horizon Capital. And we really hit it off, Started working together. And from September 2019 to this day, we've been growing the company, really trying to be both advisors, high-level advisors, but also very entrepreneurs at core, trying to launch side businesses on the side, having a podcast as well, and and trying also to give back to the SaaS community and part of it. So what I want
0: to talk about is how that story, right, where you've gone from, you know, wanting to be in trading to um, getting into analytical thinking and then getting into actual financial modeling and starting a business in that career is, have you developed or have you discovered what your superpower is in that space, right? Every iconic hero has their superpower, whether that's, you know, their ability to call down thunder from the sky or super strength, in the real world, heroes have what I call a zone of genius, which is either a skill you were born with or a skill that you've developed over the course of your career that really energizes all of your other skills, right? And the way I like to frame it is if you look at all the things that you, all the skills that you've developed over the course of your life, there's probably a common thread that sort of ties all those skills together where your superpower is. So with that framing, what do you think your superpower is in this whole mergers and acquisitions and financial modeling space?
1: Honestly, my Excel skills, like right? without a doubt. If we go a bit deeper, that I could have seen myself becoming a developer, and so doing Excel stuff is kind of my way to to get closer to to the thinking and the way of thinking of developers. Because mm-hmm. uh, I remember even back in, yeah, b- back in school, even yeah, after high school, I remember the one class. I totally made where, where, where like perfect score every time was introduction to coding and, and to yep. developments. And then, then, so, so I pushed, I pursued different studies, even though like I, I was always a bit interested, I, I kind of, I learned different languages on the side, Python, C language, Java, and every time I, I, I was really liking it, it's just that, you know, when you decide to design a career, you can't do everything at the same time. So, so I've never really managed to, to really develop that, that part. However, with Excel, from the start, I've been kind of passionate about it. You know, trying to use that tool and how you can optimize the outcome and the modeling to make it as efficient as possible and how to solve problems using that interface has always been fascinating to me. To the point that more than once, I would work on an Excel problem and Excel modeling, not necessarily find the solution, Try to forget about it, go have dinner, go to bed. And while I'm trying to fall asleep, then the solution comes to me. I'm like, oh, damn, that's exactly how I should be doing. So from a passion perspective, I really think that's the core of my skills. And I've been building my financial analysis skills and analytical skills on top of that core skill.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because the superpower of being able to make Excel do what you want is a very niche skill. Right. Not a lot of people have that. And I know because I've, I've tried to hire for it before, like where I've tried to hire people are like, Hey, you help me, you know, do this, this data. If like someone like myself who like, I know how to do a little bit of stuff in Excel, but I'm like, okay, this is beyond my skill level. And I try to hire someone for that skill. It's really hard to describe what it is you need and find someone who actually can understand it and be able to do that work because it's a, it's a very deep and wide like set of knowledge. That not a lot of people have, right? Most people are like, oh, Excel, I put my budget together in it. And that, like, that's the end, right? And there's so sure. much you can do with it. And there's so much power there. It's definitely an interesting superpower. So my curiosity for you is how do you market that skill? Because most people don't understand what it is, like the depth of the knowledge that you have. They wouldn't understand it if you showed it until you like show them the outputs. Does that make sense? Like they, they don't even know they yeah, need the outputs sure. until you show it to them.
1: Yeah, and uh, to be fair, the, so all my skills, the way I sell my skills, are am not fully focusing on the Excel part because it's just trying to do that. As you say, people don't necessarily understand it. Somebody they think it's an overkill. And to be fair, the set of my skills, you know, the range of my skills goes way beyond. Okay, because if you want to run an M&A process, Excel is great, but at the end of the day, you also need to be able to negotiate. You need to do project management. You need to understand financial structuring. You need to understand how to put together an IAM and how to teach a company. So the wide range of skills that people are expecting from, from me when they hire me for M&A or other stuff goes beyond Excel. However, to answer your question, when it comes to Excel, honestly, the best way I found to showcase it kind of came to me from the outside. Like in 2019, just when I started as an independent contractor, I have a guy, Tim Demores, who reached out to me. was like, hey, mate, I've basically started a platform on which you can sell your Excel model, right? Do you want to try it? I'm like, sure. You know, I had a couple of financial models that I had in mind that I knew that people were, would be happy to use, but I was not expecting much from it. I just put a couple of, of templates there, and man, I actually, I actually took off. Like my channel really took off to the point that it got the first one totally product-driven because I've, I haven't done any communication around it. To this day, I think I have like a thousand users or, or paid users who downloaded not uh, my templates, so CFOs, financial analysts, uh, and all of that. From that, on top of actually selling the, the models, people started, started hiring me because they, they, they like my models, they like the output, they were like, Hey, mate, I actually want like a proper, a proper tailor made model, can we work together? And one of my longest clients that has been with me almost from the start and repeatedly come back to me with new projects, but with who I love working with came from that platform. It was first a CRUDS user. That's awesome. So it's definitely an interesting world to be in. So
0: I want to get to the next question. What I want to talk about next is how is the flip side of your superpower? So if your superpower is in this Excel, And data modeling world, and you've used that to apply to mergers and acquisitions and, you know, helping CFOs understand their business, that kind of stuff. The flip side of that is your fatal flaw, right? Every Superman, you know, has his kryptonite or Wonder Woman can't remove her bracelets of victory without going mad. You probably have a flaw that's held you back, right? That's kept you from, from growing in your business. For me, I struggled with a couple of things. I struggled with perfectionism for a long time. I struggled with the lack of self-care. You know, I, I thought not sleeping would be a good idea once. it's not a great idea, in case you were wondering. But more important than what the flaw is, is I want to know how have you worked to overcome it so you could continue to grow, right? And hopefully sharing your experience may help
1: our listeners learn from that. Sure. yeah. And I think like my main weaknesses, top of my head, would be the one you already mentioned the fact that because I've been super analytical and very academic, uh, I have a tendency to try to analyze fully a problem and trying to really understand, I don't know, a market or understand a project and plan ahead of time before actually executing on it. And the best way for me to, to overpass that was to, to get a business partner who is a total opposite of it, With like, oh, we have an idea, let's, let's try to do it. And for the past year, three years, I think the main thing that my business partner brought to me, but also other people I met online in, in the SaaS industry, is that capacity to say, Rouge, the advantage of online businesses is you can test them out for almost zero dollars. You have an idea. Just put together a landing page, put together a mailing list, reach out to people, and see if you can then play. And instead of trying to work out, how can I optimize my landing page? How can I have the best product? How can I best present my services? Oh, did I think about my pricing right? No, I've more and more learned to just do it. Because otherwise, you never stop. And by the time you stop, even if your product is much better than anyone else, all the guys who've tried already, They've landing their first client and they're already ahead, ahead of you. So, so that, that's one the first thing. The second thing is, I think like as a, it's low on a, even on a personal level, I hate conflict, right? Yeah. Which, so as long as the conversation stays objective, I'm, I'm really good at that, you know, at making argument, et like, cetera, so. but when it becomes really emotional and there is like a conflict and I feel like I may be at fault that I've really helped on the human level. So I've learned kind of to take a step back, and also I think the most important things I've learned about, and still working on it, is I believe my main flaw was in a situation of conflict, I would have a tendency to be more passive aggressive or to think that the only way you can respond to conflict and to attack was to attack back. I've actually realized that the main flaw in that strategy or situation was my response. Even if you get attacked, you have different ways to either deflect the conflict or to change the tone or to express what you want without attacking the other person or without being passive aggressive, right? So approaching things in a different ways, maybe asking, oh, look, I don't really understand where, where that source of frustration is coming from is there something that I've done wrong? Is there something that triggers you for you to react like this? Because for my perspective, I don't think either my behavior or like would have triggered that. So please let me let me know. And by doing that, instead of just you know, entering into attack mode, I think you can really improve both your business relationship and your personal relationship.
0: Yeah, yeah. So... The, the two, two flaws essentially are one, the over-analy- overanalyzing things to the point of not actually shipping product. And the second one is let's just learning how to understand conflict. And the first one on, on the overanalyzing, that's the one I feel you very, very deeply on that because I, I, I struggled with that for a long time. And it wasn't until I had a, a mentor of mine, she told me that, you know, perfection was the lowest standard you could strive for because it doesn't exist. So you're striving for nothing. And and it's like a mind-breaking moment where you're like, oh, you're right, I am striving for nothing. So what I need to strive for is getting to market. And getting to market is a different goal and a more powerful goal. Because when you get to market, you can actually like see what works and what people are interested in and actually solve problems for people.
1: So, True. Very true. Yeah. Also, I, I think it comes down to the fact that if you go to market, you will very likely get your first customers anyway. know people who are really after your product and once you get your first first customers that's also going to be your first feedback and then to this back you're actually going to improve your product in a much better fashion that you would have done by trying to create a perfect item that may not even fit the need of your actual customers yeah yeah so you know you go from idea to client to
0: develop finishing the development of your product Right. Um, So then it actually serves the people that you're you're going for. And on the conflict resolution side, I I, I love your advice of being able to just step back and sort of see the situation and ask like, hey, you're I'm I'm seeing this, but I'm not seeing it the same way you are. Right. Because for all of us, our perspective on the situation is our reality. And it really helps if you can step around the other side and get their perspective on what's going on. And it really helps you understand how to resolve conflict when it comes out and resolving conflict like i said you, you already mentioned your your biggest weakness was not having someone who was gonna just do it right so in order to to really win you have to have a team of people around you who can help shore up your weaknesses and if you're gonna have a team of people you have to be able to work with them and you have to know how to you know work together and get a past conflict and you know help each other succeed and
1: yeah, and, and when it's like, and I was talking mostly about conflict externally, you know, with other bodies or all, but conflict within your team is also very important to be able to handle. And from conflict, if you handle it well, generally that actually, you, you can get a lot of good out because sometimes people are not able to express what they want or what they need and, and the growth frustration. And especially if you have a hierarchy, you're their boss they will have a tendency to not being able to express everything to you until the point where conflict will arise, generally because of something they haven't told you. So when you get that conflict, instead of seeing it as a nuisance, potentially see that as a signal that something is wrong and that maybe something is running deeper, and the conflict can be, if you handle it well, the right way to open up the conversation and solve conflicts and problems you didn't even know you had in your organization. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And they're, are opportunities to create more success. True. Yeah. And absolutely. thriving as an organization. Yeah, exactly. So I want to talk about your common enemy in your business, right? In the, in the world of financial modeling and mergers and acquisitions, right? Every superhero has an arch nemesis and that's it's a thing that they constantly have to fight against in their world. And so we like to put yeah. this in the context of your clients, right? And so it's a, generally speaking, it's a mindset or it's a flaw that you're constantly having to fight to overcome so that you can actually get them the result that they came to you for in the first place, right? So yeah. what, what is the common enemy in either M&A or data modeling? So the common enemy
1: is valuation expectation. Yeah. Especially in the bad three years. Yeah. Trying to do all deals in that market where you had people ask for 10 times their, their revenue when they're barely growing has been, I've been honestly a, a nightmare. So with everything that is going on right now, because obviously the market is kind of tough now. Investments are harder to get. Money is harder to get. But at least all the valuation expectations have come down to what we consider our more realistic level of, of valuation. But yeah, it's super yeah. hard when you start working with a founder because that's their baby, right? And also what I, I truly believe is there is a huge bias. On the market, because if all the communication you're going to read from the press, from TechCrunch, for instance, they're all about successful companies. So of course there are the companies that are going to raise money at the highest valuation, that are going to sell at the highest bidder, and that's super successful. So people have this in mind, and when they see upspot when they see profit well, you know, selling for hundreds of millions. They feel like that their business, because that's their baby, and they believe that their business is, you know, the best business ever created. They want the same type of, of multiples. And so one of our job is to say, look, totally understand. We're actually here to help you achieve the best outcome. We can even help you out, try to do a valuation to have a more objective view of the valuation you can expect based on what you see in the market. But at the end of the day, the one thing you need to remember is your business is worth only what someone else is ready to pay for. And yeah. our job is to be able to increase that number, but no one will be able to magically give you the number you're expecting if no one is ready to pay for it on the market. Yeah, yeah. And I know
0: I know that at first because we're in the process of trying to do an and MA right now. And and we've gotten to a no twice in the last year based on on founders expectations of value versus real world value. We're still working on that deal because we think there's something there, but it's definitely like, I understand that problem and I understand it more now than I did before. Cause like I've heard it before, but once you've actually gone through it a few times and you see like, okay, yeah, that's like, it's legitimately a thing. People are like, no, my business is worth five, 10 times more than what the actual market value is. And I think, I don't know if it's true or not, that they're putting more value on the sweat equity that they put into the business then the market is willing to give for that sweat equity.
1: Very, very likely, yes. However, one way to overcome that, if you're not in a situation where valuation expected are way above anything that you would be able to pay, A good thing is to understand the psychology of the people you're dealing with. Because some people are totally stuck on the actual number. You know, they want, I don't know, they want $5 million for the business. But then they are way more flexible on the structure. And you as a buyer, if you offer $5 million upfront. It's totally different than offering $5 million over, say, five years, depending on whether the business performs or not. That's generally a good way to bridge the gap between the expectation of the seller and you as a buyer. Because now you can, you can basically say, look, your business is worth what you were asking for only if it delivers the, the numbers that you think it's going to deliver. Now... We're happy to pay that number, but only once we've proven that the business is going to deliver based on your forecast, which is when an earnout comes pretty end.
0: Yeah, that's actually where we're at now is talking about an earnout. So (laughs) that's that's, that's where you get to. But you don't know that until you go through it. I probably should have hired you. I'm always
1: a hire. We can
0: can discuss that uh, in the podcast. It It would have shortened the learning curve, so to speak. So I, I understand that as the common enemy. I want to talk about the flip side of your common enemy. So if your common enemy is what you fight against, your driving force is what you fight for, right? So just like Spider-Man fights to save New York or Batman fights to save Gotham or Google fights to index and categorize all the world's information. What is it that you fight
1: for in your business? What's your mission? So, so the mission, depending on, again, on the engagement, my, my business is to optimize the value for, for my client. So if it comes to M&A, is optimize the, the selling price, but not only, you know, because I just touch base on the structure, right? But from, from a buyer perspective, trying to work out the best structure for you to be able to close the deal. It also works the other way for from the seller. From the seller perspective, different structure based on their psychology and based on how much they believe in their business and what they want to achieve, just by... Keeping the same price, but changing the structure, you can bring them much more value and a much better deal than what they had before hiring. So so, so that's the number one. The number six, two things that I strive for in all my relationship, business relationship, is to actually have like great relationship on the human level, because that makes everything much better. And I do that in all the discovery calls. When I have prospective clients ask me, they generally ask me, oh, why should we hire you? I'm very straightforward with them. i like, I think the number one reason you should hire a medical consultant or, or the number one criteria to, to, to decide who you want to work with is who you feel like you have the best human connection with. Because we're going to spend a lot of time together. We're going to spend a lot of time chatting about subject that are very important to you. And as an MA advisor, generally you're more than just a financial advisor. You you become during the process, if you get that relationship, a personal advisor, even even for their personal, like where they what they're going to do with the money after, or what they should do with their key employees, how they should structure the deal and maybe share the value with the people who help them out. And sometimes they're even there to share their fears and, and anxiety with you. Right, so, so you're kind of their therapist in a sense. So being able to make sure that you get along with your client or that your client gets along with your advisors, I think is key. And it makes the whole process so much better. Like I have a client right now where sometimes texting things during the weekend about things that have nothing to do with the deal. And every time I jump on the call with them, whether it's business related or not, I'm having like the best time ever because I really like them as a person. And that makes me want to work even harder and to really get them the best deal.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I like the idea of being a financial therapist too. You know, like <laughs> I'm your financial therapist for this transaction and whatnot. And yeah, when you when you can right. become friends with your clients, it makes a huge difference in how much joy you get doing the work, right? Because, you know, sure. when you get a joy from your work, it's
1: less work and more life. Exactly. Yeah. Am yeah. I I'm a still a financial therapist from- like uh, maybe brand it and use that uh, as a landing page or something. Yeah. Like what, your financial therapist. Yeah. I know it's,
0: <laughs> I mean, it makes sense for what it is that you're doing. And I know you, you talked about like from both perspectives and I know like with the merger and acquisition we're working on right now, I'm not trying to buy the business for less than it's worth. I want to get it for, like, I want to pay as much for the business as the business is worth, right? But no more. And they want to sell the business for as much as it's worth and no less. Right, and that's, that's where, where we're getting. So it's a mutually beneficial thing to
1: have someone who can really help you do that. True, and also another side positive side effect, especially if you're trying to buy a business and that you're going to integrate the team and generally work with the seller for a while, adding a third person in the middle, an intermediary, we can become the bad guy for you. You know, when you have to have a hard conversation or hard negotiation, there, the other part is going to be angry at us, not at you. So you're being able to, to negotiate as hard as you can while kind of retaining the good relationship you have directly with the seller.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's, that fits right into that category of being the financial therapist, right? You can be the mediator.
1: Yeah. For... We, we're also here to take the heat, even though, even though you know, that's not my favorite part of the job. It doesn't have to come to, to that on every deal. But if you ever ask to, to to get down to that, you know, at least uh, it's good to have in for you. Absolutely. So I want to talk
0: about some of the practical things that make this business work for you, All right, I call this your hero's tool belt. And just like every hero has yeah. their batarangs or web slingers or laser eyes, I want to talk about the top one or two tools you couldn't live without to do your job on a daily basis. could be anything from your notepad, your calendar to your Excel spreadsheets or something you use for your product delivery, something you think is essential to getting your job done. What's one of your top tools? I mean, I I think it's been
1: pretty clear that Excel is on top of my list, obviously PowerPoint as well, but the one thing that I've really liked using in a past few years is also the Google Drive version on your laptop. I think it's been been a game changer to be able to collaborate and still have the, the speed of use as if the folder was on, on your computer. That's um, interesting.
0: And... So, yeah, so just a curiosity for the exp- Excel stuff, are you actually using Microsoft Excel or are you using like Google Sheets and doing the same type of work in the cloud? My,
1: Microsoft Excel. Like I've, I've tried Google Sheets. I could do Google Sheet as well. But when you get to a certain level of Excel where basically I mostly use all the shortcuts that I can, most of the shortcuts don't exist on Google Sheets. So my productivity when I work on Google Sheets is considerably, I mean, basically Google Sheets is a great tool, but more for a pure collaborative kind of dashboard type of thing when you're not trying to get too complicated about it or when you have a lot of people using it. Later. Later. Yeah. Yeah. for for as far as I am concerned, given the, you know, my level of proficiency in Excel, I'm way faster and more, more productive on it. Right? Yeah, so version. you're talking
0: about the actual just the drive sync where you can use the Excel spreadsheets and move them to
1: any other desktop, like immediately, essentially, because you're working yep. from the and, you know, drive. And, and all the documents, same thing with Word, same thing with PDF. Basically, I have the drive on my on my laptop in local. It's yep. synchronized automatically to our shared drive. So, so that means that never have to, to open a, a Google Sheet or, or, or Google or Word. But if we want to, uh, to open it like this to do work all together, no, we, we can Yeah,
0: that's one of my favorite things about having the, because uh, we use a cloud drive for our stuff to We use Google Drive, is that I can access it from my laptop or from my phone or from my tablet or like my cloud. Computer that's yeah. up in a, a farm or like you stop by a library somewhere and pop it open you can get to a document whenever you need it doesn't matter where you are as long as you remember your login you can get
1: documents anywhere which is well it's wonderful
0: it's very productive
1: yeah. well we used to have that back when i was working at pwc but you know that was generally shared drive that was hosted on server on sites and it uh, kind of VPN to connect and and I, th- I think that was not in the cloud at all. The fact that Google managed to do that in the end of everyone and they can connect anywhere on the planet, I, th- I think it's one, I mean, for my line of work, it's one of the best inventions of the best Basically, yeah. they managed to come up in the past few years.
0: Yep, I, I completely agree. And now a quick word from our show's sponsor. Hey there, fellow podcaster. Having a weekly audio and video show on all the major online networks that builds your brand, creates fame, and drives sales for your business doesn't have to be hard. I know it feels that way because you've tried managing your show internally and realize how resource intensive it can be. You felt the pain of pouring eight to 10 hours of work into just getting one hour of content published and promoted all over the place. You see the drain on your resources, but you do it anyways because you know how powerful it is. Heck, you've probably even tried some of those automated solutions and ended up with stuff that makes your brand look cheesy and cheap. That's not helping grow your business. Don't give up though, the struggle ends now. Introducing Push Button Podcasts, a done-for-you service that will help you get your show out every single week without you lifting a finger after you've pushed that stop record button. We handle everything else, uploading, editing, transcribing, writing, research, graphics, publication, and promotion, all done by real humans who know, understand, and care about your brand, almost as much as you do. Empowered by our own proprietary technology, our team will let you get back to doing what you love while we handle the rest. Check us out at pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero for 10% off the lifetime of your service with us and see the power of having an audio and video podcast growing and driving micro celebrity status and business in your niche without you having to lift more than a finger to push that stop record button. Again, that's pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero. See you there. And now back to the hero show. So I want to talk a little about your own personal heroes, right? So every hero has their mentors, just like Frodo had Gandalf or Luke had Obi-Wan or Robert Kisaki, his rich dad, or even Spider-Man had his uncle, Ben. Who were some of your heroes? Were they real life mentors, speakers, authors, maybe peers who were a couple years ahead of you and how important have they been to what
1: you've accomplished so far? So maybe it will sound very cliche, but my first hero was, and still is my father. Because basically, I yeah, was a professional athlete, has like strong values of determination, consistency in the work, but also uh, honesty, respect of, of others and all those values, you know, even as I grew up and I became an adult myself, I've you know, always been holding them strong in my, in my range of values that I think are important to add in life. So my father for first year, two other heroes, I guess. It's more like all the great speakers that you have out. So I know it could be controversial, but Anthony Robbins, for instance, I'm fascinated by how the guy's managed to become so successful in his capacity to, to talk to people, bring the emotion out of it. And on top of it, he, he used hypnosis, he used neuro-linguistic programmings, which are techniques that I've started learning out of interest and pure curiosity. He mastered them, so I kind of understand what the guy went through. And so I can understand the power of the tool that the guy uses. And for that, I think it's pretty great. It's great. In that same vein, one guy that I can love listening to is Simon Sinek. Because yeah. the, the guy is so literate and I love how he expresses himself. And I generally love most of the video I watched, you know, how he uses knowledge and his understanding of society to apply to business principles, but also to, to apply to personal development. I think he's one of the guys who has the best balance between between exactly that between how to apply principle to be successful in business, but never forget to be successful in your life and personal life before and foremost, because at the end of the day, being happy and being in agreement with yourself, in tune with yourself, is the most important target that you should have in life.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I I hope at some point, you know, when my children grow up, if someone ever asks them who their heroes were, that they might respond that their dad was as well, because that's, that's one of my, one of my mentors growing. Um, and the reason I asked this question, actually, is because of this mentor. He said to me, he said, someday, your kids are going to have a hero. And if you're not worthy, it won't be you. Right? Because it they'll, they'll, they'll it's hard. And I didn't have kids at the point. I was only like 17. And I was like, well, it hit harder than I thought it would for a 17 year old kid who had no kids himself. But I was like, you, you're right. If you don't show up, right, if you don't do the work to become worthy of being someone's hero, you, you they won't choose you. Right. And so it's just been an inspiration of mine throughout my whole life to just to show up and be worthy of of the, oh, I am going forget the word I'm going for here, of the influence that you might have in other people's
1: lives. Right? That's, that's yeah. a pretty good driver. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Because you you will influence other people, um, positively or negatively, and and I was just sort of imagined. I was like, "Hey, am I going to be remembered as the hero or the villain?" Interesting. It's an interesting thought process, and it's actually something I say I say to my kids all the time too. Whenever you know, because they they argue and do things like that, and I always like when my son is being being mean to his sisters or something. I always ask him. It was like, "Hey, are you are you being the hero or the villain in the story right now?" And it's always it hits it hits quick because they understand immediately, right? Because hero and villain is just a very simple like understanding of like where where you're at. So, anyways, I right.
1: to, to, to be fair, but if we had an extra three hours, we could dive into the philosophy of that. But the reality is distinguishing between the hero and the villain may not be as straightforward as you would think. Uh, not cause... at all. Sure, and, and and actually, actually, the more you watch movies that you know really covers the origin story of the villain, the more you understand the fine line between, okay, what do we consider as villain, and can we really judge the villains the same way that we would judge them if we didn't have the origin story. So, and they, they like playing with the line between good and bad and, and who, or how do you actually define what's good and bad and how much of the context is needed to be able to apply that level of judgment to, to good and bad. Yeah. and that's one of the other topics we talk about too is
0: how the more of someone's story that you know, the more you fall in love with them. Right? And yeah, and so what's what's interesting is and again like I said we could probably spend several episodes just talking about this philosophy is that a lot of times your villains are villains because you don't know their story. You don't actually know what's going on, and so when I talk about it with my kids, we talk about things like, "Hey, if you're if you're acting the villain, are you, you're not participating in the other person's story the same way they are?" And when you guys, because you're not connecting, that's where where the issues come in. Um, and so a lot of times, your perception of someone being a villain or being a hero has a lot to do with
1: the interaction of the story between the two. But again, that's that's like really deep stuff. Yeah, <laughs> and. To a certain extent, that kind of leading back to what we were saying before, when you have a conflict with someone, when like a situation arises where you feel like there's a villain within your organization or with a client or with the other part, maybe it's because you don't have the whole story. And so it's worth it to not just see yourself as a good versus a villain, but trying to understand better the story of why that conflict arise to... To have a different perspective and help with the conflict resolution. Yep. And that's, that's exactly
0: why I asked the question, right? Are you being the hero or the villain? Because when you are the hero, your goal is to find out what the story is, to find out what's going on. Anyways, there's, there's whole bits to that. And then you can start solving conflicts that way. And you realize that, you know, hey, maybe it doesn't have to be negative. Maybe we can work together. Very true. So I think that's actually a a really good place to sort of wrap our interview. But I I do want to talk about one more thing, which is your guiding principles, right? And it's one of the things that makes heroes heroic, is that they live by a code, right? For instance, Batman never kills his enemies. He only ever puts them in Arkham Asylum. So as we wrap up the interview, I want to talk about the top one, maybe two principles that you live your life by. Maybe
1: something you wish you knew when you first started out on your own hero's journey. So I I do do think those principles evolve with with time and the more you mature, the more you refine, like uh, at this stage, I think it's one of my principles. It's more personal. I have one also, which is more value that I apply to other people. But personally, I I think is being really self-aware of how the things I do also impact myself and my well-being. But uh, because I think the more happy you are, the more well rested you are, the more in good shape you are, the better you're going to deliver. I can compare when I was working for PwC, working sometimes 15 hours a day because sometimes they ask you to work until like 2 a.m. for for one week straight. You start making a lot of mistakes. Now that I'm taking more care about my sleep, you know, and being able to prioritize based on the level of urgency that my clients have, if, if not totally urgent, then I'm going to prioritize my sleep to make sure that I'm fully awake and fully functional when actually dealing with the numbers and delivering the best quality possible. In terms of value, that has been a value that I've had for a long time, is when I was growing up, and you know what you hear from the movies, what you hear even when you're in business school, what you read in the press is generally a lot of entrepreneurs. I think that's exactly why you started this podcast of showing the entrepreneurs as heroes. CEOs are kind of seen as the bad guy in society. And exactly. generally, you know, success is always linked to the fact that, wow, those guys have been, have been doing some dodgy things. They, they're not straight. They're not honest. They don't care about other things. And, and I've heard a lot that business is business. You don't have to have value in business. What counts is to be successful, that kind of thing. I've always told myself, no, look, I want to be successful in business, but I want to be able to prove that you can be successful in business by being honest, transparent, and, and, and respectful of the people you work with and honest with your with your plan. So I've always tried to be as honest as possible and, and being able to prove that, look, even by doing that, by being able to live with yourself because then you can sleep at night, you can still be successful in, in business. Yeah, absolutely. I I completely agree. And you
0: nailed it. The reason why I started this show a number of years ago is because of that cultural sort of, I think, misconception that entrepreneurs are villains. And part of that is, I think, because the mainstream media tells stories that are on the extremes, because stories that are on the extreme um, sell, right? Extreme stories sell. And that's why all of your books and TV shows and movies and everything, anytime they have an entrepreneur, it is some variation of entrepreneur pours oil on ducks for money, right? And the reality is, is that most entrepreneurs, the overwhelming majority, in fact, are striving to solve problems in this world in the best way that they know how they're, they're legitimately trying to be superheroes. That's why we have this story. And to your first point, the energy, right? It, it it's something that I've I've sort of started to realize as I've gotten older is that your your, you know, we we talk all the time about time being your most precious resource because it's not renewable. And that that's true. But at the same time, your your energy that you have to show up in the time that you have is just as precious. And the Here's- yeah, the your your sleep, the the quality of people that you're hanging out with, the your healthy, you know your your health, all of it sort of impacts your energy. And I have gotten to a point where I've started to judge what I'm going to do and not going to do based on how I how I think it's going to impact my energy level because I think that's it's that's
1: it's incredibly important. And so I'm glad I'm not alone in that. <laughs> no, no, and and you know what? again, if you're trying to take that whole philosophy. Field and apply it in a business perspective, I think it's a great way for you to know what you want to subcontract and to de- delegate. Because, yeah. you know, like a lot of people, especially when they're growing a business, a lot of them, especially when they're, uh, when they're smart and they're driven, that they're busy, they struggle to delegate. And, and generally what distinguish people who are super successful to the people that are successful, but kind of a uh, plateau, is the ability to delegate. And so now if you start using that philosophy of, okay, what's drive my energy and what take energy from me, then you can, you can separate all the tasks you don't really want to do and put the extra effort to delegate those tasks and focus only on the things that brings you in. Yeah, stuff that brings you joy, right, Marie yes. Kondo.
0: Does this bring me joy or does it not bring me joy? If it doesn't bring you joy, have someone else do it because someone else, it will bring them yes. joy. <laughs> exactly. Everyone is
1: different. And, and the key is to find the people who are motivated and passionate about the things that you don't want to do. And I know a lot of people don't want to do Excel. So that's why I'm super happy to, to be passionate about that. Because at least I'm getting joy where a lot of just want someone to do it for
0: Yeah, absolutely. That is fantastic. And I love that. I I love that whole philosophy. And I think that's a great place to wrap our interview. But I do have one thing that I finish all my my interviews off. I call it the Heroes Challenge. And the Heroes Challenge is just a way for us to get access to stories we might not otherwise find on our own because not everyone is out there doing the podcast rounds like you and I might do. So the question Mm -hmm. is simple. You have someone in your life or in your network that you think has a cool entrepreneurial story. Who are they? First names are fine. And why do you think they should come share their
1: story on our show? The first person that comes to mind for you? Yeah, first person that comes to mind is actually a guy I've met online during a networking event, I think over a year and a half ago. And since that day, we've been talking on the phone once a week. So I really love interacting with that guy. And I think you, you would too. It's Michael Greenberg. The guy is an entrepreneur. He loves to, to, to think and have conversation about society, about business, about basically. Everything interesting the could be well-being, uh, could be a business plan, could be a business and yeah, he's really an entrepreneur at heart. He's also an investor on the side. He has a podcast. Right now, he's building up a clean business and, and we're constantly talking about either society or business awesome. on a weekly basis. So I, I think it would be a, good, a great addition to that. If you want, to also, well, to, no. to, come. On. If we can
0: reach out and maybe get an introduction, maybe we can get him on the show. We get some of our best stories that way. Oh, and I, yeah. know, he's into ClickUp. I've just recently fallen in love with ClickUp for our business, so maybe I'll learn something from him. But you know, in in comic books, there's always the crowd of people at the end who are cheering and clapping for the acts of heroism. So analogous to that on, on this show is where can people find you? Where can they light up the bat signal, so to speak, and say, hey. Pierre, I'd love to get your help with our financial modeling, our merger and acquisition. But more importantly than where is who are the right types of
1: people to reach out and actually raise their hand and say, Hey, I, I need your help. Okay. No, but the, the best way to reach out to me would be on my LinkedIn profile. So Pierre, Alex, I think you, you will include it in your link. Thank you because know, I, yeah. right? I know people are always struggling with my last name anyway. They can also go on the horizoncapital.com website. Horizon, Z-E-N, not Z-O-N, common misconception and mistake. And, and so they can reach out either through the phone or also reach out by email at Pierre, P-I-R-R-E, at horizoncapital.com. And Awesome. The best people, I, I mean, sure, the, the best people are generally entrepreneurs, either trying to grow their business, need some help with their digital marketing, their SEO in particular, and conversion rates. People who are looking to, to do MA, either I cook your businesses for themselves, or they are trying to, to sell and want to help to to run their process, or simply people who want help designing their business plan, their forecast for the first, next five years, or need the financial model or any needs that they might have for, for that.
0: Awesome. Thank you very much for that. We'll make sure we get the links into the description below so people can click on them and get there. And thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story, Pierre. It has been fascinating to just hear your perspectives, and especially in just the the world of financial modeling and Excel and that kind of stuff is not a very common thing we get to hear about on uh, on this show. So thank you for for that. And my last little question for you is: Do you have any final words of wisdom
1: for my uh, my audience before we hit the stop record button? But uh, first, thanks a lot for, for for inviting me on the podcast. I really enjoy like having that conversation. I like that perspective of trying to ask questions through the lens of, uh, of superhero hero. So thanks a lot for that. Word of wisdom, I think don't underestimate you know, the choice in life based on what makes you happy. It's go- It's really good you know, to build your career, to get mentors, but I think it's very important to do something that excites you because if you're focusing on that first and that you apply all the good principles but to some things that you like doing, everything will become much easier. And that's how you're going to attract clients. And that's how you're going to be successful and happy.
0: I agree. Thank you very much, Pierre. Appreciate your your thoughts and your wisdom today. Thanks, Richard.